Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. The Bible grabbing one scripture and running with it. The Bible is like, you guys remember playing Connect the Dots as a kid? Connect the Dots. If you go from one dot to another dot to another dot, you still haven't gotten the whole picture. So what we're doing with scripture, each scripture is a dot. And we're looking at that dot, and we'll read one dot and think that we could say what the picture is. That's not how God works. See, you got to connect the dots. You got to go from scripture to scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept, and read all the way through. And as you keep reading, it creates a picture of the goodness and the holiness and the greatness of God. So what God is trying to do for us is he's trying to see, so look, stop stopping at a scripture and seek me out completely. See, stopping at one scripture is kind of like, you know, if you guys, any of you guys got kids. You look at your kids and you tell your kids, listen, go to my room, on my dresser, my wallet, grab it and bring it to me. The kids go, okay, so they run into the room, you wait five minutes, actually it ain't five minutes, it's like five seconds. They come back, ah, couldn't find it. I told you where it was at. Well, if it's not on my dresser, it's somewhere in my room, go look, go look for it. And they run back in there, and they come back. Can't find it. I'm like, did you look? Yeah, I look. Well, the truth of the matter, they don't look. This is what they do. They walk into the room and they go. They walk back. Now, I bet you, well, first of all, I don't want to just put this on children. Because a lot of us are doing it still. Now, God wants us to be childlike, but not childish. And it's that childish aspect of us that makes us just walk in the room and turn around. God said, I am a rewarder of those who diligently. That means seek hard. Here's the crazy part about it. If I was to look at you and say, you know, there's a $100 bill in my room, it's yours. You got you to find it, though. It's somewhere in there. It's yours. Tear up the room. All my drawers would be pulled out, turned over, bed flipped upside down. It would be a wreck because they were looking for something that they considered to be valuable. See, the problem with us as Christians is when we start looking for God, we don't consider the things of God valuable enough. So when we dig into the scripture, we're doing this. Nope, didn't find it. And I feel like a parent as a pastor telling you guys there's peace in the Bible. There's unity in the Bible. There's prosperity in the Bible. Not riches, but for that you'll prosper as your soul doth prosper. There's all that in the Bible. You just got to look for it. Pastor, I didn't find it. Go back and look again. Pastor, I'm offended. 
Saints of God, listen, you got to diligently seek the Lord. Connect the dots. So many of us keep talking about we're searching for a God that's already here. You know, the whole scripture said, I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You guys know the whole song, right? That's the truth. God is with us till the end of this earth. He's here. But how can we get into a point of fellowship with him? Say, the Bible says, well, if I seek him with my whole heart. Well, you don't have to go very far because he's here. You guys hear me? God is not far from you. He's right next to you. He's in you. He's next to you. And here's the cool, here's the cool part. The, for the, the, the feeling that you're trying to get to make to reassure you that God is with you is all in a matter of your worship. How many of us worship at home? How many of us live a lifestyle of worship? Come on, you guys. It just so it could be so simple, but we make it so hard. Amen. These, these are, and you guys hear all the facts, these are the last and evil days. Jesus is coming back soon. They've been saying that for, for 2,000 years now, since Jesus left. And somehow we've gotten lazy because, well, it's been 2,000 years. He ain't back yet. He said he's coming like a thief in the night. Are you going to be ready? Because tomorrow isn't promised. Amen. I'm trying to love on you guys and just share the truth. I, and I said last week, you know, everybody, usually the first few sermons of the year is that kind of sermon that gets everybody pumped up, you know. Uh, God's going to bless us a year of increase, and God is moving, and, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that, but I, I'm, I'm, try, I'm not trying to get you excited. <laughs> I'm trying to get you inspired. There's a difference. Motivation and inspiring are two different things. If I got to motivate you, that's trying to get you to do something you don't want to do. You don't need motivation if you want to do it. Am I right? We say you got to motivate yourself to get up and go to work. Right? But if you're inspired, you want to do it. Nobody has to tell you to get up in the morning and pray. Nobody has to tell you to give. Nobody has to tell you to love on your neighbors. Nobody has to tell you to deny yourself because it's something you want to do. Why? Because it's something that's in you. To be inspired means there's something in you. Someone in you. And if that someone's in you, you'll be inspired to do the work of the Lord. If I got to motivate you to do God's work, we need to see what's in you or what's not in you. Amen. Vamos a continuar con nuestro tema de discipulado. You guys like, what did he say? We're going to continue on the subject of discipleship. Matthew 16, 24, 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires, somebody say desire. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, somebody say desires. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, will find it. That's, that's kind of odd. You can, I got to lose my life, but if I lose it for you, I'll find it. 
a lot of people don't realize that losing your life doesn't mean that you're giving up the ghost, that you stop breathing. It means living for Christ. You give up what you want for what Christ wants. And Christ said, if you lose your life, you're going to find life in me. So you can't follow Jesus, no puedes seguir a Jesús until you pick up your cross. Hasta que levantes tu cruz. And you can't pick up your cross, y no puedes levantar tu cruz until you deny yourself. Hasta que te niegues a ti mismo. If picking up the cross was for you, you wouldn't have to deny yourself. You guys understand that? So many of us will pick up our cross, and we think picking up our cross is all about us. It's about our hard times. Oh, oh, man, I'm just carrying my cross, man. I'm just bearing my cross. No. The Bible tells us, it says that a man born of a woman is yet a few, few moments and full of trouble. Trouble's going to come. It rains on the just as well as the unjust. That has nothing to do with carrying your cross. Jesus Christ carried a cross not for him. He carried the cross for us. He carried the cross for you. So when he turned around and told us that we have to carry a cross, it wasn't about us. He said, there's a cross that you're going to have to carry for others. Mm. The cross we carry are for the benefit of others. That's why we must deny ourselves. Debemos negarnos a nosotros mismos. Jesus opened up his first statement in this scripture with this. If you desire to come after me. Si alguien quiere venir en pos de mí. If you desire to come after me, if you desire to follow me, if you desire to be like me, he ended the statement with this. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Quien desire salvar su vida la perdera. If you desire to become a follower of Jesus, who wants to be like Jesus? I know we all do then you're going to have to have a desire to save your life. But if you have a desire to save your life, you're going to also have to have the desire to lose your life if you want to be like Christ. But you got to lose your life for Christ's sake. It's like, man, how am I going to... First of all, let's talk about desire. You know, a lot of us in here are fasting. And right now we desiring cake. We desiring meats. All kinds of, like right now, I'm, I'm, I've been praying and asking God to forgive me because the scripture tells me kill and eat, and, and I can't kill and eat anything right now. I'm, I'm hungry, but I'm, I have a desire for certain things. You know what desire is. Some of us have a desire to have a business. Some of us have a desire to have jobs. There's, there's things in us that we desire, right? Am I just talking to myself? There's things that you long for. There's things that you want real bad in life. That's called a desire. And those things you're pursuing after. Because most people pursue after their desires. Amen. But watch this. How am I going to desire to lose my life? How am I going to desire to lose my life for Christ's sake? What in me is going to want? There's, there's nothing in me that makes me want to lose my life. I want what I want. Psalms 37.4 says this, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. 
The problem that we have with this scripture is this is what we do a lot of times. We think that if we follow God, he's going to give us what we want. Huh? Prosperity. Just follow God, be obedient to what God says, and that bends you want, it'll get, just ask him, and you shall receive it. Yeah, I'm glad somebody laughed. I might be breaking some hearts right now because that's not what it is all about. When you delight yourself in the Lord, God literally puts his heart in your heart. And when you have the heart of God, you have the desire of what God desires. And when you desire what God desires, he's going to bring it to pass because it's what he desires for your life, not what you desire for your life. You know, God knows better or God knows what you need in your life better than you know what you want for yourself. I know Kai and I, before we entered the ministry, we had this big, we had big desires. We, you know, Kai and I was making good money. We were going to build a house in Virginia on some land out there that we own. We we're going to build a nice house. Um, we were going to travel and do all different kinds of things, and the Lord called us to ministry. And even while we were in ministry, we are still trying to figure out how we could do it. And then all of a sudden, the closer we got to God, the more and more God began to change our desires. Our, our desires about building a house outside of California, our desires of going somewhere else began to leave, and our desires became something different. And guess what one of those desires are? You're sitting in it right now. Yeah. So God said, look, I'll give you the desires of your heart because your heart's lined up with my heart. And when your heart's lined up with my heart, then I'll give you what you want. That's what it's all about. So how are you going to get your heart desire? How are you going to desire to lose your life? Why don't you go ahead and line your heart up with God? Delight yourself in the Lord. Do everything as unto God. Continue to read his word. Continue to spend time with him. When you do that, your heart will align with his, and then you'll figure out that this life that I live is not my own. I live for my Lord Jesus Christ and his people. When you desire... To follow Jesus, cuando tu deseo es seguir a Jesús, you develop a desire to be selfless or to deny yourself. Now, last week, we visited this scripture in Matthew chapter 28, and it said this, go. Somebody say go. Okay. It says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe some things, oh, all things? It says, I got to teach them all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even till the ends of age. Amen. Esta es la misión de todos los creyentes. This is the mission of all believers, not just uh, the five-fold ministry, not just pastors and teachers. This is for everybody. This command was given by our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. Fue un mandamiento de Jesús. This command has many dimensions that we have to follow, and we're about to go over them in order for us to be obedient. Last week, we said this. If we were to judge our obedience, Based upon this one scripture, many of us would be found unfaithful and rebellious. Just off this one scripture, because most of us aren't doing it. So number one, this is what we got to do. We got to go. Somebody say go. Bayan. Bayan. It means go. This is one of the biggest issues we have in church today, especially dealing with church growth. People don't want to go. Nobody wants to go. And I'm not talking about after church. 
I'm talking about go. You get it? Now go and tell somebody. God's first command for us was go. Go tell your friends. Go tell your neighbors. Go tell your coworkers. Go tell strangers about the good news. What is the good news? The gospel. It's good news. Anytime somebody has good news, they can't wait to tell somebody. Am I right? Dude, when you get a job, when you land the job that you want or you didn't have a job, the first thing you want to do is tell somebody you love. You, it might be such good news you'll tell a stranger. You know how I know people tell strangers? Because I see it on Facebook. Got a job. Praise the Lord. Huh? You are willing to tell somebody you got a job. You're willing to tell somebody you got a house. You're willing to tell somebody you bought new clothes. But you're not willing to go and tell somebody about the gospel. Why is that? Is it not good news to you? Some of us keep the gospel secret like some shame. You guys know the scripture where it says, if you be ashamed of me before men, my father will be ashamed of you. See, a lot of us don't, here goes connecting the dots again. What is it that we're afraid to go? Yes, do you guys realize Jesus himself, this is what cracks me up. He would heal somebody or he'd do a miracle and look at him and go, listen, don't tell anybody. I'm telling you, don't tell nobody what I just did. Okay? You understand that now? He was like, you ever tell somebody don't tell nobody and you know they're going to tell somebody? You, you just know they're going to say something. You, you just, yeah, they're going to tell. Watch this. Mark chapter 7, verse 35 and 37, there was this dude. He, he was deaf and he had a speech impediment, okay? Speech impediment. God couldn't talk. All whole life was unable to talk. Well, I take that back. He was able to talk, but the Bible says he had an impediment. There's a difference between being mute, unable to speak, and an impediment, which means Something slowing your speech, such, such a speech impediment is that, 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 that people that stutter or maybe people that are deaf, they, they can't enunciate their words. So it's a, a speech impediment. So when they talk, most of the time people don't want to listen to you because they're impatient. You can't say what you want to say. They can't understand you. So you don't want to talk. And I, I, I understand that. But Jesus came and met this man and laid hands on him. And this is what it says where it takes over in 35. Immediately, his ears were open and his impediment of his tongue was loosed. And he spoke plainly. I like that. He spoke plainly. Then he commanded them they should not tell no one. Don't tell nobody. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. <laughs> and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. You got somebody that ain't been able to talk and hold a conversation with somebody all his life. And you mean to tell me, Jesus, uh-uh. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just going to be disobedient. I've just got good news. You healed me. I'm going to go share this good news that there is a man named Jesus Christ that can heal you, that can deliver you, the Messiah of God. 
If you were the same way, if you realize what God has saved you from, if you realize what a wreck you are without Jesus, you wouldn't have a problem sharing, going and sharing the gospel with somebody. We get so confused thinking, you know, to tell the gospel, I got I to have a five-point sermon. I need to know what scripture because they're going to come at me with scriptures. And we end up building up this big old hill that never will come to pass. It says, go. God didn't say, learn a sermon, know every book in the Bible, and then teach somebody. He said, get what you get and go and tell somebody about it. That man that was touched and saved didn't even walk with Jesus a day. Saved evangelist. The church is dying because people aren't going. I see churches with great pastors, great ministries, and the churches aren't growing. It's not the pastor's fault. Because sheep beget sheep. A pastor's called to feed and guide and protect sheep. But sheep beget sheep. Amen. I don't want to get into the physiological aspect of begatting. You guys got to realize when God does something for you, you guys, you, you, you can't. See, that's Jesus understood something. When Jesus healed somebody and even told them not to say anything, they sat down and they were like, Jesus, I want to be quiet, but it's like fire shut up in my bones. I got to tell somebody about this good news. Now listen, the second command is this. He said, go, and then he said, number two, make disciples of all nations. Woo! I think we got the all nations part right here at the building. If you guys look around, we got blacks, whites, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, El Salvadorians, Nicaraguans, Cubans, Filipinos, Guamanians, Samoans, Micronesians, Tongans, Japanese, Haitians. I think we got them all around here. Then we got that part right. I did leave out Israelites. Because I is real life. <laughs> but what good is it to have all nations, all ethnicities in one place if we're only making converts? God didn't call us to make converts. He called us to make disciples of all nations. And as a side note, one of the reasons this this. I believe the scripture tells us that churches that are in diverse areas, like we are here in Solano County, that there is no reason that there should be all white, all black, all Latino churches here in these communities. There's no reason. Now, there's places I understand it, but in Solano County, are you kidding me? You guys realize what it does? When we have black churches, Samoan churches, Latino churches, and we go to our separate churches and we separate, we're living in a nation right now as a result of our separation. It started in the church. Because if we can't worship together, what makes you think the world's going to get along together? So what we promote is we promote convenience, comfort, and separation in church. And separation is segregation. And I'm telling you something. Do we not hate segregation? We don't want the government doing it to us. 
So why should we do it to ourselves? Got Jim Crow laws going on in church. That was a history lesson for some of you guys. Jim Crow is not a blues singer, okay, for some of you guys. Number three, number three. We got to go make disciples and then baptizing them. Baptizing. As a side note, on the 22nd of this month, we're having a soak session. And anybody that wants to be baptized, please, please sign up, get a connection card, go on the app and say, I want to be baptized. And you guys can be baptized at night, the night of worship in front of your family, in front of your friends, in front of the body of Christ. But we've been doing that here. But my question is, you know, I said that earlier that this commandment wasn't just specifically to a person, I mean, to the church as a whole. It's a commandment to each individual. When's the last time you baptized somebody? Well, that's the pastor's job. I didn't read that that way. I'm sorry. I think sometimes we, we tend to think that the pastor has the special baptizing powers and only the pastor can. And, and traditionally, in church, the pastor handled those things. But let me ask you, maybe you're at home, and you begin to share the gospel. Not much of it. Look, I don't know what G- everything. I can't explain all the scriptures. All I know is ever since I've let God in my life, I've had a peace that I can't explain. And you can have the same, the same peace. We are a wretch without God, and God loves us so much just the way that you are. God loves you. And somebody goes, and they just start breaking down because they see the state that they're in. I need this Jesus. I see the peace of God on your life, and I want that. What must I do to be saved? Then you tell them, and then you pray, and you guys are weeping. And you say, look, man, you know what? I want to get baptized. And what are you going to say? Oh, man, and uh, every, every quarter we do baptisms at church. What are you going to do? You run to the bathtub, fill it up with water, and you dunk them. I baptize you now. In the name of Jesus, you are baptized. You are now born of spirit, and you are born of water. Welcome to the family. Huh? You guys can't be waiting. You know, some, sometimes people just think that it's, a, it's important to get it done now. My God, I can't wait. One day we're going to have a baptismal that's going to be in, like, people are going to be like, I'm going to get saved. They're going to be running up from here, going to give the light to Christ, and then jump in the pool. Wouldn't that be nice? That'd be cool. Yeah. So, teaching them, number four, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That means each one of us. See, the corporate church has done a great job of teaching, but we're teaching corporately. But what it's saying to each and every member, you should have somebody that you're teaching. You guys understand? You should have somebody that you're pouring into. If you don't have nobody that you're pouring into, then you're not fulfilling the commandment of God. You should be going teaching things that God has commanded you. You guys understand? See, each one of us are at different levels. And we can only teach what we got. Don't be trying to teach something that you haven't even received yet. And it's okay to give what little bit you got. You know, and I, I give the analogy of when I was in the Army about climbing up the, the hill and me being at the bottom, looking at somebody at the top. They're at a whole other level. And they can't reach me unless they come down to where I'm at. But there's somebody that's one step ahead of me. I want to be where they're at. 
So why don't I get them to help me up to where they're at? And I go one step at a time. There's too many of us that are trying to get to the top of the hill and skip a bunch of steps. You guys hear me? It's like, you know, you join in a karate class, and the first thing you say is, when do I get my black belt? We'll give you the black belt, but when it comes time to fight, black eye. Right? Jesus is talking to us individually. Saints of God, listen to you guys. We're talking about becoming disciples and discipling others. You can't be on the Internet being discipled by somebody across the Internet. You cannot be discipled over the telephone. You can't sit down and go, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being discipled by Pastor T.D. Jakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know, Bishop Noel Jones, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Bill Johnson is, is uh, discipling. No, it doesn't work like that. Distance learning is good for college, but distance learning doesn't work for discipleship. You didn't see Jesus discipling people from a long way off. When he discipled somebody, there was a key thing that they had to do. Stop what you're doing and follow me. That means you got to be with me every day. You got to watch what I do, do it like I do it, and follow me. And the apostles knew this, and that's what they did. That's why they all dwelled together. They broke bread with each other every day. They met in the temples, in the synagogues, and every day they were at each other's houses. Why? Because they knew they could keep each other accountable. They could teach each other what they've learned. And not only that, they'd be able to love and grow the body of Christ. Because when people on the outside see that type of love and discipleship and discipline, they want to be a part of what you have. But if the church looks like the world, why do I need to go in there? Amen. Remember, you guys, I'm going to share this. There's two sides to every, every coin. You got a coin in your pocket, that's why you flip coins. If there's only one side to a coin, it's counterfeit. So if there's one side to a cross, it's a counterfeit religion. If people tell you all you got to do is say the sinner's prayer, and you save... Now, there's another side to that coin. There's another side to that cross. So let me share something with you. There's two sides to every coin, and there's two sides to every cross. One side of the cross is where Christ suffered for us. On the other side of the cross is where Christ was an example to us. One side was for the sinner, and the other side was for the disciple. On the disciple side of the cross, Jesus is our example. He left us an example that hides in plain sight. And he says this, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. This is a discipleship. This is telling you what discipleship's about. He says, I am with you till the end of age. What he's telling us is when you disciple somebody or when you're being discipled, you're going to be with that person till the end of age. You're going to be with them. You have to spend time with them. You're going to be right there with them. That's the problem that we have with discipleship. Nobody wants to spend time with each other. I don't want to open my life up. But the funny part about it is he says, if anybody shall come after me, let them deny themselves. See, that's the whole thing about denying yourself. Denying yourself is denying your comfort, denying your convenience. And I know, listen, please. People are like, well, I got family, I got this, I got that. The first century church didn't even worry about that. 
They were like, come on in, let's spend life together. Matthew 16, 24 and 25 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. That means denying your life is losing your life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus was referring to discipleship. He first talked about his cross, then he spoke to them about their cross. If there is any reason, saints, as to the reason for the lack of power, the lack of joy, the lack of faithfulness, and the lack of spirit and truth today, we need to take a look at our attitude towards discipleship. There's people, there's people, and there's some of us in here right now, they're like, dude, I'm not letting nobody in my house. I don't know you. Or they got so much stuff that you know about you that you don't want nobody else to see, so you're a Christian outside your house but you ain't a Christian inside your house. So you can't disciple anybody because they'll see who you really are. The fruit or lack thereof tells the whole story. For there never will be and there never can be any fruitfulness apart from embracing the twofold work of discipleship, the twofold work of the cross. We have to be saved and we have to be discipled. As I close, now, this question will, of course, arise, can, can Jesus be Savior but not Lord? Can Jesus be my Savior but not my Lord? And we think about that because most of us got saved literally because we don't want to go to hell. You be honest with yourself. It's like, man, you, you found out hell is real. And some of us are like, well, I don't know if hell's real, but I don't want to go if it is. Tell me, just be honest. A lot of us are like that. So I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, to uh, go to church, and I'm going to do what I got to do. I'll be here, and I'll, I'll, I'll check off my, I did this for you this week, Lord. I came to church. So I'm, God didn't invent the church for him. He invented it for us, the body of Christ. What he said, the, the, the Sabbath wasn't made for God. The Sabbath was made for man. He made church, the body of Christ, for you. So when you come to church, don't think you're doing God a favor. That was deep. They're like, come on, Pastor, you hurt me. So people are saying, can I accept salvation but not discipleship? Can I enter to the gate but not walk the path? Can I pray the sinner's prayer and live any way I want to or any way I please and still make it to heaven? Well, if you're even asking that question, that shows a lot about your character. It also shows a lot about your salvation. Amen. There's this guy, he's the rich young ruler, stated in the Bible, named the rich young ruler. He had the same concern. He had the same concern. He was a young man that did everything that he thought all the good works would get him into heaven. But then he runs across Jesus. This rich young ruler came to Jesus with the exact same concern. What must I do to inherit eternal life? His primary concern was going to heaven when he died. For many Christians, it's the ultimate objective and the motive behind everything they do. In actuality, Jesus comparatively told him little about going to heaven when you die, but he instead offered him discipleship. He didn't say this is what you must do to enter, to enter eternal life. What he did is offered him discipleship. 
He wanted to be saved, but Jesus said, it's not about that. It's about what you do after you've given your life to Christ. Let's look at the scripture. Mark chapter 10, 21 through 23. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Can I stop real quick? If I tell you the truth, it means I love you. How can you tell if somebody loves you? They'll tell you the truth. If somebody lies to you, they don't love you. They may care for you and concern about you, but that's not love. Because love tells the truth, even if it's going to hurt your feelings. So don't think I'm trying to judge you when I tell you the truth. I want to see you get better. I want to see you do better. Amen. So Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Yeah, you pay your tithes. Yeah, you give to the poor. Yeah, you do this. Yeah, you do that. You kept the Sabbath and you, you, you were circumcised at the right time and you've never drank. You never did this. You did all these great things. But he said, one thing that you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come. Take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of heaven? How many people possess something? How many people own a car? How many people own a house? How many people own a business? How many people own clothes? You own something. There's nothing wrong with owning things. You guys listen. Jesus didn't have a problem with you owning stuff. He has a problem with stuff owning you. See, some of us will neglect everything to make sure we keep some of the things that we have. Maybe it's a house. It's like, look, I won't go to church. I won't serve in church. I won't do anything until I make sure that I make this house payment. So the house, you don't own the house. The house owns you. You have a mortgage. You know what a mortgage is? A death grip. Let me break it down for you. The word mort is death, such as mortuary. Mort. Okay, it's Latin. Then the word gauge. Gauge, it means a grip, to grip something, to gauge something, to grip it. Mort. Gage, mortgage, death grip. And so many of us are searching to get houses and we know we can't afford, or buy cars that we know we can't afford, and buy things and charge up things and do all this stuff so that it creates not us possessing it, but it possessing us. When you have an unclean spirit in your body, what do we call it? Possession. Because it has control of your actions. And Jesus told the rich young ruler, look, you may own some things, but there's some things that own you. So what I need you to do is get rid of them. Separate yourself from them. Yes. Hallelujah. Can you guys hear me? There we go. He says, separate yourself from them. But he didn't want to because they owned him. That's why when he first said it, he's like. You know, some of us are like that. It's like we don't want to be free from our bondage. We hate the torment, but we love the sin. And what we'll do is we'll come to God and go, relieve the torment, God, but we're not willing to quit what we're doing to get into the torment. 
Because sin brings torment. And when we're in torment, it, it, the, the thing is, what's tormenting us? We need to leave that which is tormenting us. We're in some kind of sin, something that's separating us from God. Once we stop that sin, that's like when, when we do deliverance and people want to get delivered from unclean spirits, a lot of times they want to, they want, they like the company, they just don't like the torment that the company brings them. It's like, it's basically like this. I like when people come over. I just, I don't like when they don't know when to leave. That's the problem. Yep. We keep inviting them over and over. So the sad thing is he went away sad. So some of you guys in here, listen, you may be concerned. If we make salvation contingent upon dis discipleship, then fewer people get saved. That might be the truth. That if I talk about, look, there's two sides to this cross. It's not just about saying, Lord, I believe in you. Because you know the Bible says that the devils, the demons believe, but yet they tremble. They're not going to heaven because they believe, but it's about believing. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works lest any man should boast, but it says we are saved. I believe that if I go through this thing called faith, through means action. If I go through, I'm walking. Going through is movement. Going through is working. By faith, I'm walking through faith, I mean through this door, and the door is Jesus Christ. And that's the discipleship. It was the grace that unlocked the door to allow us to be back into relationship with God. It's not your works that unlocked the door. The door was unlocked, and you got to go through it. And once you go through it, where does it lead to? It leads to a path, Matthew 7 and 14. Because once you go through that door, once you go through that gate, it says it's because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and there be few that find it. Some of us are at the door because we believe, but we never went through the door. A door leads to somewhere, and that leads to a path. That path is discipleship. Why do you think Jesus, what do you think Jesus meant when he said, few that find it? Because there's so many of us that will not take on the responsibility of denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following Christ daily, and discipling our brothers and sisters that are next to us. So what are we to do? Should we continue to give false comfort to those who are unwilling to take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow Jesus? By no means shall we do that. Instead, let us here at the Building Christian Fellowship endeavor to show others by example that the only way to life is through death. The only way to reign with Christ is to suffer with him. It's not about this, those that hear the word, but it's about those that hear and do the word of God. God is calling us all to a level of discipleship. These next few weeks, we are going to be revisiting what we need to do to disciple others, be discipled. There's a threefold work to discipleship. One, you must have an instructor. You must have somebody that's teaching you. Number two, you need to have somebody that you're teaching. And number three, you need to have a friend, somebody you're accountable to. So you need a Paul, you need a Barnabas, and you need a Timothy. That's the threefold work of discipleship. And we here at the Building Christian Fellowship are going to become disciples. We are going to go and make disciples of other men, baptizing them. And we are going to change this city over for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. 
but we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.